This is the Epic Life Podcast. Thanks for listening. My name is Eric Knopf, and you are listening to the Epic Life Podcast. Epic Life is a faith community that empowers people like you to grow, to create, to give, and to lead so you can impact the world for Christ. You can learn all about us at epiclife.org. Today's episode is with Dan Crystal. Dan is an incredibly talented and gifted individual. He is also part of the Thrive Conferences, which impacts tens of thousands of people every single year. And he's also on staff at Bayside Church, which is one of the largest churches in the area, heck, even the country. Dan is someone who's on the move, and I wanted to get time with him to talk about his upcoming project, which is a book that he's writing. And he observed that the church really helps you establish healthy relationships with God, but forgets to help you develop healthy relationships with other people. I asked him, what stops people from loving others the way we're commanded to in the Bible? And his answer was so profound and brilliant. I cannot wait for you to hear his answer and also to hear some of his story and his perspective. So let's go. What's up, Dan? Eric. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, I'm thrilled to ask you some questions. You are one of the most talented, diversely involved people I know. Maybe you can quickly tell people what a few of the things you're involved in. Okay. So first of all, I'm a pastor, been in ministry for over 22 years. And so that's my first and foremost, my calling. Um, and I work with Bayside Church in Granite Bay, which is the home base for, for that church. I do a lot of things with them with uh, registration for all their major conferences, the big little, oh, it's a little tiny Christmas event. A tiny have. one. Yes, yes, this little one. Where, <laughs> Only um, like 40,000 people. Something like that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then I also do sponsorship acquisition relationships with them and, and then just build relationships with the pastors, uh, that are coming and their churches that are coming so we can keep them connected with the resource. And, and then I also, my wife, uh, is an oral surgeon. So I run the business side of her corporation and also have my own business where I do life coaching, career coaching for for people that need it. I don't really market that one, but only because I'm a little busy doing some other things. <laughs> and you recently have a new commitment coming up this fall. Yes, I do. Um, I am dropping this uh, this book that I've been working on for about two years, and I'm self-publishing it because um, I just want to ma- maintain some control over the material. Plus, I don't want to buy back my book from the publisher. <laughs> it's a little bit of a selfish reason, but um, yeah, I'm dropping this book end of September. I'm really, really excited about it. and. Uh, I, I'm just wanting to get it in the hands of as many people as possible. And I love how humble you are because you kind of glossed over the fact that you are tangibly involved in one of the, the biggest leadership conferences in all of Christianity. Well, um, I think that Andy Stanley might have something to say about that with Catalyst. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, Thrive Conference is, is a conference that started about 14 years ago. Ray Johnston and John Valinsky. Ray Johnston's the founding pastor of Bayside, and John has been in the ministry with him for 20-something years. And they started this conference, and they were expecting maybe three, 400 people the first time, and they got 800 people. And, and then it just grew from there, and now we have five conferences in a year. And we reach out to students, we reach out to the women's ministries, we uh, do a leadership conference, and we also do an apologetics conference. And uh, all total, I can't, there's something to the tune of maybe 20 some thousand people that get impacted by that conference every year. It's just an amazing thing to be a part of. Kind of embarrassed to be part of something so cool like that. You know, it's like, I, I, I get to be a part of that. It's pretty wild. Yeah, so you're doing small things, so we get that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you asked me to tell you, so I'm telling you. No, it's it's awesome. <laughs> I, I appreciate someone who's understated, uh, but it's really amazing to see the things you're involved in and how much reach they have. Um, but you're also, you're going to be going to law school too. If all these things were not enough, you decided, yeah, let's... Let's just yeah, that, go that, to law school in the middle of that, too. <laughs> Ever since I started my education, I've been wanting to get uh, to the level of a doctorate. And it's just mainly a personal thing, really. I just um, wanted to attain that, not for any other reason than to attain it. But then through the years, God's just really worked on my heart about how I really need to stay focused on how I can be more of an influence for Him and how I can help help churches and people in even a, even a very more tangible way than um, spiritually. So... I struggled over that decision, over what I was going to do, and uh, it's it's not common knowledge yet, but it will be just shortly after we get done with this. Well, and, at least uh, when this is published. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I'm ready for it because uh, once I got that acceptance letter and I've the most important people in my life know about it already, so I'm good to go. That's awesome. So all of the different things you do, what would you say is like your sweet spot, I'm the best at this? Because you, you're versed in number of different professions, skill sets, responsibilities, impacting tons of people. When you think of yourself, you're like, this is my home run sweet spot that I'm really good at. What would you say? Oh, connecting with other people. I, it's, I realized about three or four years ago after, uh, I know some people are always asking that question, well, what is, am I supposed to do with my life? What does God want me to do? That kind of thing. And, and so I said about three or four years ago, I went through a really difficult period where I felt like I wasn't being useful or I didn't feel useful. And um, I just, uh, through that through that experience and through some counsel with some really good mentors of mine, just discovered what my mission in life is, which is to help other people discover what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And understanding that I am far from perfect at that. As a matter of fact, I'm always going to be learning, and I call myself a student of relationship. So connecting with other people and helping them understand why that's important and why, why God uh, and, and Jesus directly said, this is the second thing I'm focused on. And this is what I want you to focus on. And um, I just, I see how it's a benefit to, uh, to me. I see how it's a benefit to other people and how that relationship can be a benefit to everybody else. And just looking up and saying, hey, this is what you wanted me to do. So let's do it. And you're so passionate about that. That's the subject of your book, is it? It is exactly the subject of the book. It's uh, The book is really kind of a mem- memoir written style book, which is, I know people are like, well, why do I want to hear your stories? Because they're not my, it is my story, but it's a story of how other people have taught me something and how in relationship, it's that, that discipleship learning process happens all throughout your life. And if you can take that and influence somebody else with what you've learned, then that's why I wrote the book the way it's written. It's written by stories of people that have taught me something about how to live out that second commandment. And I'll never forget why I started writing this book. There's a guy by the name of Roger Flessing. He works for Convoy of Hope, another incredible organization. And um, he actually said, well, you want to write? Well, do you have stories? I said, yeah, I have stories. Well, just write, just start writing them. And about four or five stories into it, you're going to know exactly what you're going to write about. Sure enough, four or five stories in, I had, boom, right there. And it just took me about about 18 months to do the bulk of the work. And now I'm just working on the finishing up the process. So even through that relationship, it sparked something. And and I think you know, too, in your life, Eric, you could, I could probably interview you as well, saying how, how God has allowed you uh, to get where you are because of the relationships in your life and how it's 
elevated you to a certain place and, and how I see you're using it to help others. No, I totally agree. Uh, I know why you're writing the book. When you told me why, it made perfect sense. Can you tell people why the subject of your book is important and what is missing today that the church is mm. maybe uh, not helping the average Christian do? Absolutely. Um, can I start off with a little story about that? Please. When I was in college, I was in Bible college, I took six months, talked to a professor of mine and said, I, would, I grew up in one denomination, that's all I ever knew, and uh, I'm not going to mention what that one is because that's another way to divide. And so I said, I want to I wanna go to as many churches, different denominations as possible over a six-month period. And in that six months, I want to hit up every Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, if they have them, a different church. Because I want to experience why these denominations exist, why these different non-denominations exist, what is it about it that separates us? Why do we allow it to separate us? And I remember when I was a, a kid, I had this experience where I just, I don't know, I just got wrecked in my, in my, uh, in my, in my emotions. And I really felt like God had gripped my heart in a special way. And, and it was in an environment that I grew up in. And I, and I wanted to know if that exists anywhere else. So I was attending all these different churches and I attended this denomination on one Sunday during this time frame where I had never been in a church like that before. It was, it was, it was way more uh, structured and, uh, and growing up, it had this mindset that, you know, is God's spirit even there really, you know? And so I remember the priest at the front said, Hey, it's time to take the Eucharist. And of course, now I'm in Bible school. I know what the Eucharist is, you know, communion as I was growing up. And, um, he said, everybody, you know, get in line and we're going to, and the organ started playing, which, um, you wouldn't think, Hey, well, you know, they had the organ in the Catholic church all throughout those thousands of years. Of course, there's gotta be something spiritual about it. Not really. It's just an instrument. But, um, <laughs> but what was happening during that time frame, I was standing in line and I remember waiting and I remember getting wrecked the exact same way in that line, waiting for the Eucharist in that liturgical church. And instantly God just impressed on my heart that it doesn't matter where you are I'm there and I can move and do whatever I want anywhere I want as long as people are receptive so hmm. ever since that moment I've I felt like man why are we so divided you know the church has done a and this is the answer to your question the church has done a really decent job probably a really good job helping other people understand the need and importance of a relationship with Christ but there are over 33,000 registered denominations in the world. That's a pretty divided body. And so I felt like if I can just do something to impact, influence the, li the lives of people that are believers and even those who are not, because I hope that they're going to pick up this book and be curious about it and, and maybe even learn something about the church that they didn't know before. But if I can just be an influence in some way to help people understand what it means to love your neighbor as yourself— and how we care for our own needs, why not care for the needs of others? We, uh, we do things for ourselves, why not do things for others? And we, we invest in our own lives, hopefully, why not invest in the lives of others? And that all happens through relationship. So that's, that really is the reason why I'm writing it. I just, I believe we're all gonna be in heaven one day. We're gonna be looking across the, across the, <laughs> across the way and we're like, that guy made it? <laughs> or like, sorry about that really awkward exchange we had down know, there. Right? <laughs> Didn't I'm think like, I'd see you here. 
Talk about humility. We're gonna. I'm gonna be experiencing that in heaven one day. I know that for sure. And plus, I think when we get to heaven one day, it's to me. I don't know. Everybody else can may have a different thought, but when I get to heaven, I feel like all the, there's gonna be a lot of things I thought were true, thought were right, and and I'll be corrected on those things, which will bring me that to that point of humility and really truly understanding that uh, Jesus died for us, and mm. we're not perfect, but He is. I love it. Isn't that the hallmark, the proof of Christ in you is how you love other people? Absolutely. John 13. Oh my gosh. It's the, the true this Lord's Prayer. This is how prayer. you'll know that you're my disciples, but yes. how you love one another. Yep. And and uh, I call the true Lord's Prayer, although even in the, in the Bible it says, this is how you should pray. Jesus actually said that. But I call the true Lord's Prayer the one where Jesus is praying to his father about how he wants those who are following him to be one as he's one with his father. Mm-hmm. And so, and he said, and that's what I desire, and that the world will know because of that that I love them, and um, so that's that's the key, I think. So, what makes it hard to love somebody else as we love ourselves? Like, wh- why is that so hard? And where do people get hung up? And why is it not happening? If if Jesus says do this, uh, you know, wh- what are the, the forces and the tensions and the problems that keep us from from doing that? I think offenses is one of the biggest ones. Offense. Yeah, offense. Um, I think offense is one of the large, the biggest things that's, that keeps us from entering into those relationships with others or maintaining them. Um, one of the chapters in the book, I, I'd Can spend, I pause you there? Yeah. I think this is so brilliant. So can you maybe unpack offense a little bit? Define that a little bit more. Okay. Um, whenever we say, I deserve, we've made the focus on ourselves. So if, if I feel like I have an expectation of something that should happen and it doesn't happen because somebody else was the cause of it or somebody else said something against me or somebody else talked behind my back or, or my own family misunderstood something that I said, then, and, and I, I, take, I get offended at it. And I take that on as, uh, as something that, why did they do that to me? Like, hmm. I deserve better than that. That uh, pride that I have in that relationship is what's keeping me from deepening that relationship with somebody else. So a lot of it is based on me personally. So, I mean, even in the past several months after finishing up this writing of this book and teaching about forgiveness, man, I, I went through some of the most difficult times of, uh, putting into practice forgiveness, forgiving an offense that someone had done because offense is, it happens to us, but then we lock ourselves in a prison because of what somebody else did, because we, we choose not to forgive. We want to hold on to it. And we don't always tell people that we're, we've taken on offense. No, and as a matter of fact, they could have gone on for the rest of their life and never know that they offended you. Right. But yet we're looking at it as, I can't believe you did that to me. And they're thinking, what did I do? <laughs> um, that's uh, one, of the, one of the stories that I tell, and uh, I won't give the whole thing, but it happened with my mom and I when I was 14 years old. I was a bad, bad young man. I was uh, mainly to her. <laughs> I was 14. She was off uh, five foot nothing. And I just felt like I could, she couldn't control me anymore. Right. As a, as a rebellious teenager. And so one, one time we had a heated argument and she said, if you don't stop what you're doing, you're never going to amount to anything. And so, um, she had, she, it was true though. I mean, that's the thing that it was, it's very, very true that if you, if I stay rebellious and then why would why would anybody trust me with anything if I'm just going to create my own way and just forget everybody else? I just do it my, on my own and just take it on me. But that sticks with a 14-year-old. And 13 years later, um, 
It was September 11th. She was visiting uh, my apartment in Los Angeles with my family. And 9-11 happened. And she was scheduled to fly home at 11 o'clock that day. And that night, I just felt like, "Ah, man, I talked to my wife and I said, I really need to talk to my mom about this. I really need to get this cleared up because all these years I've allowed it to impact this relationship with my own mother. Wow. And when I told her what had happened, she instantly just wept because she realized I just caused all that pain for my son for all those years. I didn't even know it. Wow. So she asked for forgiveness. And I'm the one I was, I was actually trying to ask for forgiveness because I held that grudge over her for all those years. And she's asking for forgiveness because she realized I didn't want to make that, let that happen. Five years of her life afterwards, we spent just getting to know each other on a a way better level because of that reconciliation. And if I had held on to that offense five years later, she would have died. I would have never had an opportunity to reconcile. That's on me. Right. I locked myself in that prison. She didn't. So that's why I believe uh, that's like, um, you you look at anything that's going on in the United States and the world right now and the racial issues and the gender issues and, and all the things that are going on. But what we miss is, is we, we miss the fact that we're not forgiving other people for whatever. And we're not even forgiving ourselves. Right. And it just locks us away. So that, I think that's the number one issue that, that we face that we don't want to talk about. Like it's the hardest thing to talk about. Yeah. Right. Cause I deserve better. Man, that was so good. I could talk to you for hours. I know that you are short on time, but yeah. man, thank you so much for I appreciate taking it. time. Let's yeah. do it again. I would love to. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> thanks again for listening to the Epic Life Podcast. If you want to be the first to know when a next episode is available, we can text you a link to it. All you need to do is just text your name to the number 916-246-2468. And then after subscribing, reply with the word podcast. Again, you're going to text your name into this number, which is 916-246-2468. You see, it kind of just skips there by two. So text your name there. And then after subscribing, reply with the word podcast. And then we'll text you as soon as one's available. If you happen to be in the Northern California region, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings where people from all over the area and the region come together for a night of food, friends, worship, teaching. It's so much fun. And so you can grab free tickets there for our upcoming gathering by going to epiclife.org slash tickets. And wherever you are in your faith journey, we just invite you to get connected with us, to grow, to create, to give, and to lead. We believe that you were made to change the world. And so you can learn more about what we are doing or what our community is doing at epiclife.org. We'll see you next time.